this has been a prophetic weekend and we, the, the church, need to be switched on prophetically. We need to understand and, be, and perceive and see things in the spirit realm because modern day media are the false prophets of our day. And we need to be able to discern what, what's being fed to us. Amen? Uh, if that is true, then we need to understand that sometimes our education systems, our educational institutions are the school of the false prophets as well. And do it, we need to be people who are awake to much of that. Now, what I want to do this morning is, over the weekend we've been speaking about the prophetic, but the prophetic is the key to entering into the kingdom. The kingdom's here. When Jesus said the kingdom of God is at hand, we tend to think of that as dispensationally. You know, some time in the future, we're going to step into that kingdom. Don't think like that. Think like this. Start to think spatially or dimensionally. The kingdom's at hand because it's here right now, but in another dimension. And God's given us the keys to access that kingdom here right now. It's not only future, but it's here right now. And over the weekend, I've been speaking about the eternal nature of the kingdom. Now, in Matthew's gospel, there is the tests of Christ in Matthew chapter 4. And in Luke's gospel, you see, in Luke chapter 4, you see the tests of Christ. But if you are observant and you're a student of the word, you'll see that they change order. Have you seen that? Anybody seen that? All right. And so... In, in Matthew's gospel, Matthew is the gospel of the kingdom. Luke is the gospel uh, in, in a sense, and it shows Christ's humanity. In Luke's gospel, it shows him praying more than any other gospel because it shows his humanity. And in Luke's gospel, it's almost like Christ steps into uh, and, and overcomes the temptations that leave Eve fell to. She fell to, you know, she saw the fruit was good. She saw that uh, the tree was desirable. And that it was, ple it was pleasant, rather, and that it was desirable to make one wise. And so she fell to the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. But in, in Matthew's gospel, Jesus doesn't address that. And often commentators say this, you know, like, there's this anomaly between the two. You know, so how can you, how can you trust what's going on? I've read some commentators say there must have been six temptations or six tests. And they're trying to weave the two together. And so they're saying there's multiple temptations or multiple tests. But let me say this, Matthew's gospel shows us an eternal truth. And so therefore, it doesn't matter if it's chronological sequential, he's showing us an eternal truth. All right. And so in Matthew's gospel, the devil comes to him and he says, if you are the son of God, turn these stones into bread. Now in, Matthew, in Luke's gospel, he said, turn this stone into bread. And Jesus' response is different in Luke's gospel than, than what it is in Matthew's gospel. In Matthew's gospel, Jesus says, uh, man does not live by, it's written, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Now, we need to understand in our day that just as Israel, Israel modeled for us and show us that they move from Egypt through the wilderness into the promised land. And today, those of you who weren't here in the weekend, I explained this before, but we move from the world to having our minds renewed to stepping into the land of God's promises. They moved into the promised land. We moved into the land of God's promises. And that's dimensional. It's not necessarily a physical, tangible place that we're going to, but they model for us those steps. Um, I was going to say that's why in Acts chapter 1, verse 3, Jesus didn't labor and get them to scribe down the, the, the teachings that he taught about the kingdom because they're already written. And they're already modeled for us throughout the Old Testament. All right. And so when Jesus is speaking and disputing or overcoming the enemy 
I believe that it actually shows some things that, um, let me just say this. If you see an anomaly or a apparent anomaly in Scripture and it stands out to you, then you need to do a bit of digging because that Scripture or those passages of Scripture hold a truth that God wants to release the revelation for you in. And it, he, it's, it has a personal influence or a personal effect on you. And if you will dig for it, God will release something that you will be able to step into another dimension in. Are you okay? And so sometimes we go, well, that was really weird. And we just, you know, we, we sort of you know, reason it off. But really, God wants us to explore those supposed anomalies. Now, Jesus quotes from the book of Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy is the book, the fifth book of the Pentateuch, before they step into the promised land. And so it holds a lot of key verses. And Jesus quotes from Deuteronomy 8, verse 3 in the first test. And then he quotes from Deuteronomy 6, verse 16 and 6, verse 13 in the latter tests. In Deuteronomy 8, verse 3, God said to, um, to Moses and to the children of Israel, How I humbled you and I caused you to hunger. I led you in the wilderness and I fed you with manna that you didn't know, that your fathers didn't know, that you might come to know that man doesn't live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. That one verse, if we study that one verse, it defines for us what manna is. Manna is that which proceeds out of the mouth of God. And so therefore, manna in the Old Testament is revelation to us in the New Testament. And I explained yesterday that in the, we, we have this prayer, Matthew chapter 6, where he says, we, we call it the Lord's Prayer, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily, and our daily bread is revelation. All right? And we need revelation in the New Testament just as they needed manna in the old. We cannot go forward. We can't live for this day or tomorrow, as, Adam's, uh, as Andrew's explained in some of his teaching earlier, uh, that we can't live for tomorrow without revelation today. Is that okay? Now, what in that passage, it says that you didn't know manna and neither did your fathers or your forefathers know. What that tells us is that revelation. Now, we know in hindsight, in the wisdom of hindsight, that the, the forefathers saw themselves as grasshoppers in their own sight. So they had a wrong self-image. They had a wrong mental model of who they really were. All right, so what this says is that if we grabbed a hold of revelation because they didn't know this, is that revelation has the capacity to challenge a fixed mindset or a wrong mindset. Does that make sense? Also, it says that you didn't know, or this current generation didn't know manna, which means this. Manna or revelation has the capacity not only to change or, or challenge a fixed mindset, but it has the ability to model for us or to give us a framework to step into something beyond ourselves. So we are that current generation and God releases revelation to us to challenge our fixed mindsets, but also to take us off the ceiling, out through the ceiling that we placed over our lives so that we can step in and we can model that, what he's showing us in our imagination and we can step into that beyond ourselves. Wow. And so the number one thing that Jesus does in that first temptation is showing us in Matthew's gospel how to step into the kingdom. And he's trying to accelerate our understanding of that. It's unsaid how he stepped into it, but you, because he's showing us the steps through the temptations and each one is progressive, you can't go to the second temptation unless you master the first. And you can't go to the third temptation until you master the other two. But what he's actually showing is the growth that Jesus had undertaken as a child to come into a level of understanding so that he could enter into the kingdom. Is that okay? 
you want to be accelerated into the kingdom, we need to grab a hold and harness these truths from the tests in the wilderness. Number one, we need revelation. Revelation, and that is that impartation as you're reading the word or as you have a dream or you have an encounter like an owl and suddenly it comes to you here and it's quickened to you and it jumps off the page at you and you go, whoa, that's God speaking to me something. And you compare it to scripture or you see what God's saying and witnesses with you elsewhere and you go, whoa, God's saying something and you write that down, but you've got it in here. Is that okay? Revelation is the spearhead of any move of God. And as the prophetic, God's raising, uh, Moses said in the book of Numbers, oh, that all God's people would be prophets. And they are. This is that day. You may not be seer prophets, but you all are more prophetic than you think. Otherwise, it's the Father's goodwill to give you the kingdom. And if he wants to give us all the kingdom, we enter in and the keys of the kingdom are revelation. And so God downloads revelation to each one of us so that we can step in and uh, exercise and move in to possess the kingdom. So the number one step that Jesus demonstrates for us is we need revelation. All right. And so he rebukes the devil and the devil comes back with another round. The devil knows scripture, doesn't he? All right. That's the sword that he uses against us. Remember Goliath's sword yesterday. All right. So now the second thing is the devil comes to him and he says, well, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down. Because it's written, and he quotes uh, Psalm 91, verse 11. Uh, he, he says, because it's written that the angels will take charge and, and bear you up so you don't dash your foot against a stone. Now, Jesus doesn't doubt the, the vicinity or the uh, presence of angels. He doesn't doubt that. And what the devil's trying to do is get him to doubt. Now, what he's actually showing there, and Jesus rebukes him and says, You shall not test the Lord thy God. And he's quoting from Deuteronomy 6, verse 16. But in Deuteronomy 6, verse 16, he says, You shall not test the Lord thy God as they did at Massa. Now, Massa was an episode that took place in Exodus chapter 17. In Exodus chapter 17, verse 7, it says, You tested the Lord thy God by doubting that he was amongst you. So watch this. First of all, God gives us revelation to hear and now what doubt does is it challenges the revelation that you've got here. All right. And so what is needed in the second stage of the overcoming the enemy is you need a unity between your head and your heart. That's why the Bible says in Romans 10 through 8 through 9 and 10, if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart, you'll be saved. Now, the word sozo in the New Testament does not just mean eternal salvation, but it means deliverance. It means healing. It means being released from death. It's, you know, it has 54 uh, uses in the New Testament, and it doesn't just mean making a confession of your faith. The whole thing is a, is a package deal, and in the cross is healing, deliverance, everything. Yeah. Are you okay? Yeah. Yeah. Now, yesterday we were talking about the journeys of Scripture. The journeys of Scripture portray for us and hide within them, in the, the names of the, the, the journey and the places and the interactions, they hide for us truths that are not visibly seen to us and not spoken. So God often speaks the loudest when He doesn't say those things at all. But He wants us to be the mystics that de dig into the Word of God and find the truth that's hidden there to the, you know, the casual observer, the person who's just reading the Bible. And then they go, well, I've read the Bible. You know, and they really haven't read the Bible. You know what I'm saying? Now, so when Elijah and Elisha were traveling, 
Elisha continually said this, As the Lord lives and as my soul lives, I will not leave you. He's got the witness within him as Gideon's men. Now, doubt puts a, 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 a discord between our heart and our head. Fear does the same thing. And so that's why Gideon and his men, first of all, God says, how many men you got? You got 32,000. He says, well, tell all those that are fearful to go home. He's left with 10,000, 22,000 men leave. Why? Because fear causes a discord between your head and your heart. When Goliath and David are facing one another, Goliath has this guy that seems to be doing nothing, but he's the shield bearer. And so he runs out in front of Goliath and he's got his shield. He's got his, all his weaponry for him. He's the armor bearer, as it were. Now that shield bearer is not doing nothing. That shield bearer is a spirit of fear that precedes any attack of the enemy. Why? Because he wants to cause a discord between your head and your heart. He wants you to doubt God's presence. He wants you to doubt the revelation that he's given you so that your head and your heart are not in alignment. Wow. But if we get revelation and we align our mouth up with, and our actions and our thinking up with the revelation that we've got, suddenly we are one man. That's why it says in Judges 6 verse 16 to, to Gideon, you will defeat the enemy as one man. If you read that story, there were 300 of them. And the 300 of them, I'll very quickly go into this. The 300 of them have a torch in an earthen vessel. And 2 Corinthians 4 verse 7 says, we have this treasure in earthen vessels. And that torch is a revelation. And when that's in their left hand, it signifies the heart. And in their right hand, they have a shafar, the, the, the horn of a, a, you know, of a goat or of a, you know, a, a creature. That's, that's a prophetic voice. It, the horn is a symbol of strength and it's had the flesh cut out of it. And so in the mouth and in the heart, there's an alignment. And as the glory within us, and as the earthen vessel and our own earthly constraints are broken and we align that up and we start to speak out the word, suddenly the enemy's routed because it's not us speaking, but God in us speaking. That's the same thing that you find in Jeremiah 20 when, when Jeremiah says, look, I'm not even going to speak your word. No one's listening to me. But he said, but your word burnt within me and I couldn't restrain it. He's got a revelation in here. He has to speak. He's, he's compelled to speak it. You and I, that with God's birthing revelation in us. As we dwell and we sit with Him, suddenly revelation comes. As we're worshiping, revelation comes so much. It's through worship, through praise. Suddenly the downloads come. Sometimes in worship, I have to sit, stop it and go, I have to write that down or write it in my phone because God's just downloaded a thought or a, a series or a phrase to me. I go, well, God's speaking in worship as I give myself in worship to Him. Are you okay? So get to that place where you're waiting on God, where you're reading through the Word, where you're actually going further than the resistance. You're actually pressing through His absence, as it were, and you're going, God, I'm not satisfied unless you speak to me today. I need manna today. I need revelation today. So you're there, and suddenly you line up your life with that, and then you're one man. It's not you. It's Christ in you. Because when the devil called for a man in Israel, when Goliath called for a man, he said, send me a man. He wants to face us in our natural self. He wants to face the natural, the human you. But David doesn't go do that. He comes and he says, you come to me with you know, swords, spears and shields, but I come to you in the name of the Lord, L-O-R-D in English, Yahweh in Hebrew, 
Yod hey vav hey, Yod hand hey behold, vav nail hey behold. I come to you in behold the hand, behold the nail. I come to you, devil, in the victory that's already won at the cross. Remember, this is an eternal gospel. Jesus died 2,000 years ago, but we, are in, we have eternal access to that victory. You know, it's more than Isaiah 53, by his stripes we healed. There's a plethora of provision through the cross. Without the cross, there is no kingdom. The two are matched together. Jesus and the cross are also, you can't speak about Jesus without the cross, and you can't speak about the cross without Jesus. The two are so linked together. All right, so once you find the cross in Scripture, all the way through the Old Testament, you're finding a kingdom truth. Because the cross was, it was a multidimensional victory and the, the, the gospel writers could not capture the fullness of that as they wrote about the physical, uh, the torment that Christ went through and the, the anguish that he went through. They can't capture the layers of dimensional truth that he's given us provision through. And so they're hidden throughout the Old Testament all the way up to his crucifixion in the gospels. Are you okay? God releases revelation to us as we seek him. You see 333, 333, 333, 333. Jeremiah 33.3. Call unto me and I'll answer you and I'll show you great and mighty things you do not know. The word there for answer in Hebrew not only means to reply, but it also means I can shout at you or I can sing to you. Sometimes you're going, God, what's the answer? And he wakes you up with a song. You're singing a song. It might even be a secular song. God forbid, you know. No, but God will speak to you however you are prepared to listen. You know, and so you're hungry for God. He releases a revelation to you and suddenly you've got something and now you've got it in your heart regardless of the circumstances and you line up now your life with it because it's the enemy. If you hold on to that, the enemy will fold. He will test that to see whether it's in your heart or not. But then you hold, you hold to it and you break through. All right, now you cannot move on from this first place of revelation and you can't have that oneness unless you've got something in here first of all. But you can't move on to the third place, which is really, really important as well, unless you've got that in your heart. Now, the devil comes to him and he says, look, look at all these things, all the kingdoms of the earth. And he says, I'll give you all these things if you'll bow down and worship me. And Jesus says to him, you shall worship the Lord thy God and him only shall you serve. Now, Jesus does this amazing thing. He changed the wording of Deuteronomy 6 verse 13 because it didn't say worship the Lord thy God. And him only shall you serve. It said, you shall fear the Lord thy God and him only shall you serve. So Jesus takes the liberty of changing the word worship or fear into worship. And when he does that, that's also a note for us as a Bible scholar. They're going, well, there's a depth here I haven't yet explored. He does the same thing in Psalm 8. In Psalm 8, he says, out of the mouth of, you know, you know in, uh, in Matthew's gospel, they question him about people's praising Jesus. And he says, that you don't even know that it's written out of the mouth of babes. I've perfected praise. In the Old Testament, it doesn't say that. In, in, in the book of Psalms, it says, I've established strength. Because praise is strength. And the word strength in Hebrew it's made up of two letters, but what they spell in the original is see the weapon. See the weapon. And so babies, anybody who's praising is actually bringing forth a weapon. Wow. 
All right, now watch this. And so Jesus takes the liberty here in this passage of changing the word fear into worship. The word fear in Hebrew is yare. It means this. It says uh, yare is a yod, it's a hand. Re is a person, it's a reish. And then it's an aleph. Uh, Reish and aleph spell out person's strength. Uh, The strength of a person is their sight. All right? And so what it says is this. Yare is the hand that you see. When you fear God, you're seeing God in the circumstances. When you're seeing man or you're fearing man, you're you're not seeing God in that circumstance. You're not living in the realm. You're living in this realm. All right, and so worship is what comes from us when we sing God's hand. When we step beyond this dimension, we go, well, I worship you, God. What is interesting is that after Jesus defeats the devil with those three tests, angels come and minister to him automatically because they're their part of the kingdom. When you and I worship, guess what? We start to enthrone him in our circumstance. Because we've just enthroned him in our heart. And so we've got revelation. We're holding on. And what we do from there on is we worship because in that place we're enthroning him. And where the king is, there's the kingdom. And the kingdom can be applied. Now, throughout scripture, you see the children of Israel go through the Red Sea. And then they start singing songs. Deborah defeats the enemy, Sisera. And and suddenly they sing a song. So they're singing post-victory. But when Jesus went to the cross, or before he went into the Garden of Gethsemane, they sang a song and then he went. Because he's declaring the end from the beginning as he sings and praises God. You and I are declaring the end from the beginning when we start to worship and praise God. Because he already has the victory. All right, and so as we worship Judges 20, the enemy is is put into confusion and the enemy causes an ambushment because the angels start to go to work for us because we've enthroned God and suddenly angels start to work with us. All right, and they're they're working on our behalf. Hallelujah. Man, I get excited. I'm not sure about you. So what Jesus has shown us as he walks through the wilderness and defeats the enemy is something that we can harness ourselves to accelerate our steps into the kingdom and possess it. Number one, we receive revelation. Number two, we line our lives up with it so that we are one man, Christ in us, the hope of glory. And suddenly we start to come into this place of worship and we understand that as we do, we're enthroning him. That's why the likes of Benny Hinn, Catherine Coleman, their ministries primarily building that atmosphere of worship. They don't move in like the faith gift or or that sort of, you know, the, uh, the evangelist and something like that. Suddenly they create an atmosphere. And we're worshiping God and suddenly he comes and miracles pop right? because we just enthroned him. Healings take place. Deliverance takes place. And suddenly it's, it's not bound to us. Suddenly Jesus steps in the room and says, you've given me room. You've given me room. You've enthroned me on your heart. You've enthroned me in your circumstances. You've enthroned me in this place. And now the kingdom will manifest. Hallelujah. There's so many more benefits of when we come to worship him. So like the guys have been saying over the weekend, this isn't just the lead in to the main event. This is the main event. And as we worship, we've actually, we're bringing him, we're enthroning him. And now he's starting to work in our situation. Suddenly he's he's bringing deliverance. He's bringing freedom. He's bringing prosperity. He's, He's bringing the breakthrough because the angels are aligning with him and with your hearts. And then suddenly he's there. Amen. 
And then the angels manifest to Jesus. They start to minister to him. And you will be ministered to as well. Hallelujah. Woo. There's much, much more in that. But hey, there's enough there for us to grab a hold of here this morning. Amen. Amen. Now, a lot of this material, some of this material, is in hidden in plain sight. Because the kingdom's here right now, and we need, God wants us to access it. Stop playing church. Our gospel has to include His ascension and His enthronement. If it doesn't, then it's an incomplete gospel. Amen? Anyway, I spoke about that yesterday, and I don't want to labor on it right now. So, <clears throat> hallelujah. Father, I thank you for the, the, the journeys in Scripture that each one of them hold for us truths. You know, they're not outwardly spoken, but Lord, as we dwell and as we meditate on your word, you release truth to us. And so, Father, I pray for a release of revelation to each person in this place. Let them step into fresh manner. Let fresh manner come to them as they, they move out of the camp or as they separate themselves from the distractions of Facebook posts, of the media, as they separate themselves unto you, suddenly drop revelation into their hearts, Lord, that they can build their life around and they can step in to see things manifest in their life. Father, I thank you that as their head and their hearts come into alignment and as they worship you, Lord, you are enthroned in their hearts. Father, we pray as a body here in this church, Hope City Church, Lord, we enthrone you. We enthrone you and we give you permission and your angels to minister through our lives, for our lives and for our family in Jesus' precious name. And everybody said, Amen.